people say that. Podcast your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jeb Brewer. Greetings! With us all the way from up here, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. We hope so. It's been a... We'll spare you all the gory details, but it has been a, a technical nightmare so far. But we have all pushed through, mainly <laughs> Lee, whose system is the one that this week... It, it round robins, but this week it is Lee's system that is giving us the most trouble. But uh, Lee has pushed through to serve you, the listener, and bring you another great episode of Say That. We've got some of your questions. We've got possibly more than one grown man breaking down in tears. If Pro Tools <laughs> crashes one more time. Look, uh, it's, it's for the people, Matt. It's for the people. <laughs> that's right. We do this for you. Lord knows we're not making any money. Uh, so we, we have all that lined up. But first, we have, speaking of not making any money, we have a potential business venture emergency oh yeah for that we turn to say that business development director jed brewer well hello there uh, prospective investors so as you know i'm a health enthusiast and as (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm so sorry dude We have spouted a lot of nonsense and bits on this show, and we're all pretty good at yes-anding, and man, Lee just could not make it three seconds straight-faced on that. I I broke the first rule of improv right there. I'm so sorry, guys. Playing in Lee's mind was the number of awful, awful... Chicago hamburgers, gyros, tacos. Oh god. That he has sat across from Jed Brewer eating at eleven PM. The number of times we've been to Mickey's together <laughs> or Lucky Dog. <laughs> Holy cow. Now, to be clear, I didn't say that I'm an enthusiast for good health. I didn't specify <laughs> that the is quality true. of health. <laughs> That's true. Only health generally. But you know what? It, let's assume it's of good health. I, I, I could have changed. I haven't. I could have changed. So <laughs> as a part of my enthusiasm, of course, I drink water every chance I get. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Every chance you get, Judd? Uh, I mean, I have drinking water on occasion. Are Did we banking on the, <laughs> the scientific fact that there is water in Mountain Dew to make that? <laughs> there, there you go. Okay. Uh, in that case, I, I drink water all the time, y'all, and you should there's, be there's, impressed. There's probably water in Taco Bell cinnamon twists somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's water in there. You know what? By these definitions, I do get my eight servings of water a day, and I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> contains water. I feel way. like Mountain Dew, the cinnamon <laughs> twists, are have some kind of Death Valley saltiness that actually extracts water from your body. <laughs> well, a that's true, and B, I'm glad you said that because speaking of death, oh. I have. I have recently become aware, um, and I'm sure you wouldn't have heard of it because, you know, it's such an underground brand. I have recently become aware of the Liquid Death brand of water. Um, Jed, which... before you get into the Liquid Death, I just want to say that there there is the new movie Oppenheimer coming out. Yeah. And I really, for a second there, speaking of just a very, I'm picturing a very chipper Oppenheimer yeah. Speaking of death, I've recently become death, destroyer of worlds. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the voiceover. I want to tell you how it happened. So as you're waiting in line to see Oppenheimer, you'll probably need some refreshment. And what better than canned bottle, a canned water company, Liquid Death? That is so, thematically appropriate. 
This is what I'm saying. So for, for, for those who, who, who don't know, of course, Liquid Death is a, a pretty popular brand of water. And kind of the fundamental branding about it that's kind of funny in a way is that it's just water. But everything is like super death themed. There's skulls everywhere. Like the slogan is murder your thirst. You know, like a lot of waters, like your LaCroix and whatnot, like they have different, you know, kind of essenced flavors. I mean, it's not really flavored, but it's, you know, and like the lime is severed lime. And I think the mango is something like mango massacre. Mango and I, I have, chainsaw I'm looking at right here. Mango wow. chainsaw. I'm and lo- bury I'm looking, it alive. Oh, that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. B-R-Y. Okay, so here's the thing. I came of age at a time when Christian bookstores were saying, we don't want to sell death metal. We want to sell life metal. We we don't want people listening to black metal. We want people listening to white metal, which at this point probably means something else and something far more horrific. Google that. (laughs) But so here's the thing is there's money to be made by doing a cheap knockoff of somebody else's hard work where we generally substitute in Christian sounding words. And gentlemen, I think there is money to be made by us making a cheap knockoff of Christianized Say That Presents Liquid Death. Wow. You're talking well, about living about, water. Yeah. <laughs> I am talking yeah. about living water. So one of the things about liquid death, if you look it up, dear listener, is it looks absolutely like one of the tall boy cans of beer. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's got like the gold rim on the top. We've got like a very, um, we've got kind of a very uh, Renaissance um, calligraphy uh, font going on. Here's my question is, could you corner the Christians into buying water? And and this is where I think we're really going to make the money. Could you corner the Christians into buying water that was packaged and branded in those tiny little communion cups? Oh, dude, yeah. I think you could. It's the cost of a bottle of water. Yeah. But it's the size of those communion cups. Oh, that's so good. You're using, in a way, you're kind of, you know, we're kind of playing on the the emotional component that has to do with that moment in church when you take communion and and all the good feels that come with that, or all of the guilt associated with the way that communion was was spun in church. And you know, I mean, you should feel guilty about how little water you're drinking, Jed. <laughs> He yeah. didn't say I am the wellspring of Mountain Dew. That that's Come to me right. And drink all drink of my Mountain Dew will never thirst again. So that's something to think about. Yeah, I mean the following. I love where we're going here, and the following could get us in trouble with the uh, notably litigious um, uh, holdings of the Disney Corporation at this point. But because they've they own... got a lot of other people, they're currently suing. I think we can oh, slide well. them under the radar. So just in uh, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right, when they're trying to find the Holy Grail and he's got to you know, dip it in water and take a sip, right? Like, uh, what are we calling living water, life water? What are we going with currently? I think living water is the move there. Okay, so with, with Say That Presents Living Water, like if we had different grails and you got to collect them all. <laughs> And sure, they're just cheap plastic cups, but like it could even there could almost be a gambling thing, which everybody loves to gamble, where like there's a little slip and it tells you whether you chose wisely or chose poorly. Wow. Like, I mean, dude, I'd buy that. I like how even five minutes into marketing this product to 
evangelical Christians, Jed just can't help himself. Everybody loves to gamble, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, you like a little action on Look, the ponies, don't you? We can bring that every, si- <laughs> every single person we're marketing to already put money down on the Knicks or somebody yeah. like four days ago, so it's fine. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, it's it, well, once, a, yeah, so, once something is legal, it's no longer immoral. Um, but there's also just, I picture us having s- somehow weaseling our way into a pitch meeting in Lifeway that goes bad, not in us getting kicked out, but in the, the employees there just jumping out of the window to get away, f- away from us and the things we said. Yeah. 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 Well, g- gentlemen, another time tested Christian marketing, uh, strategy is not saying anything positive about your product, but just intimating or flat out saying that. All secular versions of it are satanic and evil. Oh, Satan sure. water. So, I mean, liquid death, it's got a skull on it, mango chainsaw. I think we can, we can moral panic that up pretty good. But obviously the big dog in this market is LaCroix, which yeah. um, I just looked up the literal translation of that. And it means yeah. the cross. The cross, yeah. So really? sounds to me. Yeah, it's the French for the, the cross, right? Yeah. So oh. it sounds to me like LaCroix is openly mocking our Lord and his yeah. suffering. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I think the flavor of the cross was cleansing blood, not grapefruit. <laughs> well, could we could we find the French translation of the empty tomb, oh. and make that our drink? Oh, that's pretty good, man. That is pretty good. By the way, I am like for real, literally drinking a grip a grapefruit flavored sparkling water right now. <laughs> well, it's the most evil of flavors. Yeah, I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty happy with myself. When it I is. That. By the way, it's uh, tombeau vide. Right on, tombeau vide. If we if we were to go ahead and market our sparkling water, tombeau vide. This is the empty tomb water. The mm. direct answer to Lacroix. Oh, that's you want, good. You want to uh, you want you want to revel in the cross? We are focusing on the empty tomb. Tumbo Vide. That's good. That uh, that opens up a multi, I was going to say multi-level marketing, but that's something else. Multi-sector marketing plan. And um, it's going to be the the living water. That's going to be at your, your Walmart, your Kroger, your Jewel Osco. Yeah. But the Whole Foods line that we're going to put oh, in there, yeah. that's going to be the Tumbo Vide. Yeah. That's right. It's like a pilgrimage for your thirst. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, so we need to figure out what our fruit flavors are. And obviously, we want things as much as possible where there's Bible references. So Jesus was pretty well known to like figs. And so I think we can do fig fig essenced water. I my thought uh, name is faithful fig. Yeah, that just feels that feels right. Or or fruitful fig. I think I think either could be good. Maybe fruitful is better. Um, I love it. We we need we need grapes, obviously, because those definitely those come up. Gracious grape, oh. that feels like that's gracious yeah, that's grape. Is, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, you know what else? These liquid death sounds like. Once you have the grapes of wrath, we want you to have the grapes of grace. Mm. Oh, that's grapes of yeah, grace. The grapes there it is. Of grace. Thank there you. it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember of after the resurrection, Jesus curses a tree because it won't produce fruit. Was that a fig it's tree? It's a fig tree. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if this doesn't work out, we can also try to pitch that to liquid death. 
because cursed <laughs> fig is pretty good. Dude, I I would try cursed fig. That's awesome. That's a good band name, actually. That it really is. Dude, they uh, apparently like their annual sales are a hundred million dollars. What? Yeah, it's canned water. <sighs> they cool sell economy we have. Love it. Well, and here's the hilarious thing: their the market valuation for the company, which is not. I mean, that's just kind of made up. But the market valuation apparently is seven hundred million. But they are clearing a hundred million dollars a year in uh, canned water. Man, okay, this is a total aside from the emergency, but like, you just make something that feels macho. And you're gonna make a hundred million dollars a year. That's okay. that's where the misogyny is. Yeah, here's, in our here's society, my, I'm fascinated now. What is the most the product that least needs any form of gendering to it that we could bro up? <laughs> okay, I mean, water's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, l- I, let's let's try toothpaste or something like that, though. Toothpaste, toothpaste, toothpaste is good because I feel like there is a lot of like with deodorants and shaving creams and all that. There's that weird. Yeah. If but a we woman tried really to use this, she would just burst into flame. That's how manly it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Macho mint toothpaste. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's that's it. Yep. Kick your cavities right in the mouth. <laughs> Yeah, yes, dude. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I want macho mint toothpaste right now. I'm so depressed at how how much that would actually work. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, should should we stop recording and actually work on this as a sideline? <laughs> well, the the other one I'm thinking is basically a macho version of Kleenex. Okay, like everybody needs to you know either blow their nose or pick up you know nasty things from the floor. And I'm just trying to think how you bro that up and make that, you know, hyper-masculine. Well, I mean, first of all, you'd have to change the packaging because most Kleenex boxes are like, you know, pleasant colors and whatnot. So it'd have to be jet black. Right, right. And like reference something like it'd have to be like, these could double as shop towels. Oh, that's good. That's very, very good. It'd have to be unpleasant to use, like really itchy and scratchy for no reason at all. Yeah. Like it's 80 grit. Jet black, but like with with accents of like like tribal tattoo geometric designs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it would basically look like a black liquid death can. (laughs) Yeah, nasal death. (laughs) (laughs) They would they would almost instead of tissues, you would want to call them like shrouds or something like that. Oh, shrouds, pretty good. Shroud's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Tough towels. There you go. Yeah. And tough is spelled T-U-F-F. Yes. Yeah, well, that would be the other kind of macho marketing would be kind of in the vein of like the seven-in-one body wash that they keep trying to pitch to men for some reason. It'd have to be like, it can be. It could be Kleenex or a paper towel or toilet paper, or you could wash your car with it. Yeah. (laughs) Or you could write a note on it if you needed to, or you could sand down the edge of a table. (laughs) (laughs) I think the ultimate would be, and this is maybe not, you know, maybe not appropriate for the little ears in the back of the car for the say that podcast, but if you're still listening with children in the car, that's your choice. And you know what you got into, (laughs) you, you know where you are. 
but like the baby wipes that people put on the back of the toilet for for folks going number two, if you could just bro those up. Oh, that's been done. Bro- Dude, that's a real product, man. Man, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a real so thing. Frustrating. Yeah, and it's exactly what we've described here. It's the exact same product, but it's just in a black box. Oh, it's there's one called Dude Wipes. Dude, which Dude sounds wipes. like not what it is. But if if you just heard that, you might think it's a baby wipes version for if you've married a man who refuses to take care of his own basic hygiene. And you just have to wipe off his face before you leave the house every time. <laughs> wipe down your dude. Wipe down your dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking. I also like the idea, I also like the idea that, that, that wipes is a, a verb and not a noun. Look, oh, it's like celebratory. Dude wipes. That, guy, yeah. that guy's will put together. Yeah, dude wipes. Hey, hey dude wipes. That's Excellent. what you say to your toddler when he's like, when you're calling your friends, letting them know that <laughs> you've moved right. on in the potty. In the most wonderful of potty training stages, like ah, how's it going with the in the mommy me group? Dude wipes. It's a big day for us <laughs> and the family. The dude abides. The dude wipes. Yes. Well, speaking of to close this out, things that actually exist. Once again, we've possibly been upstaged by real Christian products. I read from an article on the Thrill List oh from Lord. Uh, actually, just a couple of days ago. As we record, first ever holy water infused hard seltzer is here. Oh my gosh, man. Sacred seltzer, holy spiked holy water seltzer. Dude. 5% ABV, available in mango, cherry, and lime. Features 95% holy water that is, quote, blessed according to official Catholic procedure on March 31st, 2022 in LA County, California. Wow. Okay. At least this I'm is, housebroken, man. This is this is somehow more, way more sacrilegious than what we were pitching. Yeah, absolutely. The most sacrilegious part: you can get a six pack for twenty four dollars. What? Twenty four dollars? That may be the most Catholic thing about that. That is that represents an institution whose ceilings are made of gold, dude. Four dollars a can. Not for the tall boy, for the twelve ounce can. Wow! Of hard cider. Okay. Good thing our Lord charged all that money when He made that wine at the wedding at Cana. <laughs> that was that was all part of a viral marketing strategy. First taste was free. That's how you get word of mouth going. And on that, we will declare, hopefully, business opportunity on, but definitely emergency off. Oh, that that went a lot of places. I hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, we are now going to move on to your fine questions. Well, if you have a question for us, you can reach out to us. Uh, I I will give you some addresses to reach out to us at the end, or you can scroll down your episode description, click on the links you find there. First question comes into our email address and says, "Is divorce ever the right option for a Christian couple to take?" An excellent question. We really appreciate you writing it in, and I will I will preface the conversation we're about to have by saying, reminding you. That your friends on the Say That podcast are never interested in telling you what to do with your life. Yeah. You've asked a, a broader question. We don't have any details about your exact situation, so we're going to answer. The question is asked, if you are listening to this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go on a limb here, and the Lord moves in mysterious ways. I don't think he's using this podcast to tell you whether or not you should get divorced. I think you should 
talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, talk to trusted friends. Let's work through that. But um, I think with that said, it is a very good question. There's a lot wrapped around this. We were actually recently in the answering of a question about uh, changing and evolving attitudes that denominations have towards uh, LGBT people. Um, I, it, I believe Jed mentioned that as of not that long ago, in all of our living memory, 20 years, uh, yep. if you were divorced, you couldn't be an elder in churches. You yep. couldn't have a career in ministry. Like, yep. is a thing where there's a lot of variance in the way people treat it, and a lot of things have evolved over that time. So I think it is a very, very good question. And Jed, where do we start off? Well, I think the short answer to is divorce ever the right option for a Christian couple to take is yes. There are all kinds of scenarios where it's absolutely the right option. It's the <clears> only <throat> option. Um, I totally agree with what Matt said. Um, we don't know anything about your situation, so we can't really comment on it. Um, and it, even if we knew a bunch about your situation, y- you need to talk to a therapist, a counselor, a pastor, um, a lawyer, um, you know, there are all kinds of things that, that go into, um, if divorce can be the right option, um, how that should be structured, when that should take place, you know, that's, that's, um, there's a lot to that, right? I mean, you know, it's, if you, if you look at something happier and is, is it ever a good idea to take a vacation to Europe? Probably, but the details really matter. So, like, that's not really one size fits all. Um, you know, uh, so. Ukraine's in Europe. They said it was a good idea. I'm booking a ticket today. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta be careful with that. But the the thing that I would really like to to kind of point to because I think it may help to explain a bit of where we're coming from is that part of where we get confused comes from the idea of a Christian marriage. And let yeah. me let, let me tell you what I mean there. Let's look at a completely different thing. I'm going to give you a scenario that is on purpose absurd, but I want you to think about it. If you were a doctor and somebody came to you and they said, I need to know what to do about my Christian high cholesterol. Your first thing would be, what? And they repeat themselves, say, well, I have Christian high cholesterol and I, I need to know what to do about that. If you were a doctor, you would explain there's no such thing as high cholesterol for Christians. Um, and I'm glad that you have a faith tradition you feel good about, but high cholesterol is high cholesterol. Your, your faith journey really doesn't impact that in, in any way. We have some drugs that are actually great and really super helpful that will definitely help. We have a way to fix this situation. It has nothing to do with your faith. Um, I don't, there is no Christian high cholesterol. Therefore, I don't, I don't have anything for that, but but normal people, high cholesterol, we can do something about. B- both his name and my LDLs are elevated. <laughs> well also, done. apparently, Jed has forgotten, uh, being a Southerner, he has forgotten the uh, Christian potluck, because that actually <laughs> may be a thing. <laughs> well said. Sir, uh, we, your blood test came back, and uh, we hit, you know, cholesterol is a little high. I'm concerned about the 3% cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> I can't say your Christianity caused it. I can say that this is something we only see in regular churchgoers. <laughs> well done. Well done. Okay, here's here's why I bring that up is there is such a thing in a sense as a Christian marriage, but that has to do with the goals and aspirations of the marriage, right? That has to do with the idea of like we want this to be 
to create a team that can that can go forth and and serve people, which is great. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to to aspire to, and that we're you know both people in this marriage are are informed by and strengthened by their faith journey, and that 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 you know makes us stronger as that team. That's that's great. But man, when when things go wrong, it I I would submit this is my opinion, and I would submit for you to think about when things go wrong, it's not a Christian marriage in trouble. It's just a marriage in trouble. Yeah. You're, you're two people that are trying to figure out how to be married and you're having a hard time with it. And adding that Christian label in those moments generally makes things worse, not better. It generally complicates things as opposed to adding clarity. I can tell you from having been around ministry situations a long time, people get real religious the moment that marriage stops working. They're not very religious when they're trying to make it work, but when it stops working, they get real religious. People will bust out words like torn asunder. Doesn't the Lord say that the marriage should not be torn asunder when like no other part of their life reflects the King James Bible? And then all uh, of a sudden we get real, real religious. You don't need to do that. You, you don't need to do that. What I would submit to you, the thing that I would at least encourage you to, to ponder and to consider is that. Christians aspire to ideals, and that is really, really good. But but when we need help, whether with our marriage or with our cholesterol, we just need help. We don't necessarily need Christian help. We 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 just need expert help. There are sacred aspirations, and that's in a lot of ways what defines a Christian marriage is what it aspires to. But there are only common tragedies. And I want to encourage you to consider that in one sense, yes, you are called and you are chosen and you are special and you are unique, but in another sense, you're just the same as everybody else. When you have high cholesterol, you need to take certain medications. When your marriage isn't working, you need to talk to a counselor and to a lawyer. Um, Trying to put yourself always in another category where the same rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to you that's not sacredness. That's not holiness. That's just making your life more difficult than it needs to be. Fixing a marriage that's having trouble is hard enough on its own. You don't need to add extra pressure to that. That's a great place to start that off. And Lee, what would we add to that? Uh, you know, the question is, 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 is divorce ever a solution for Christian people? The answer is yes. Sometimes the, the healthiest step towards care for a, a couple that just does not know how to work together is divorce. And by the way, sometimes that's, sometimes people don't get uh, divorced because, you know, we want to stay together for the kids. And I have worked with young people for uh, professionally for 20 years now. I can tell you the kids know, yeah. and that's not what the kids want. And it's not what the kids need, by the way. Um, you're not, you're not doing any favors to the kids by, quote unquote, staying together for the kids. Let's talk about this Christian stuff for a second, because the, I agree with everything that Jed said. And the thing that I would add to it is that for people who profess to have a, a relationship with Jesus or pr- who profess to follow Jesus in some way, follow his teachings or walk with him in any way, the thing that we need to understand there is that Jesus is very serious about all kinds of things that matter in a relationship between people. There's a lot of stuff that matters in building a healthy and good relationship. Love, care, listening, humility, serving, equality, friendship, forgiveness, kindness, mutual submission, by the way, and on and on and on. 
all that stuff. When I was, but when I was growing up in the evangelical church, like the only thing you hear is is uh, on these matters is simply the commitment not to divorce. By the way, we never talked about actually building something healthy. We just talked about the commitment not to divorce. What that does is it bypasses all kinds of situations where you have unhealthy, toxic, abusive environments, where you have all kinds of things that are unbelievably, flagrantly against everything that Jesus would teach about relationships. All of that forgiveness, all of the love, the care, the humility, the listening, the equality, the mutual submission, the friendship and the forgiveness, all of that stuff is completely bypassed under the umbrella of the only thing that matters is the commitment not to get divorced. That's ridiculous. I completely agree with Jed. There's no such thing as Christian marriage. There's just marriage. Is it a good marriage or a bad marriage? Now we can talk about that. If there were such a thing as Christian marriage, what you would have to look at is this incredibly complex system wherein there are some really important details that are important about marriage that are all woven into the teaching of Jesus about relationships. If all of those things have been ignored or pushed to the side or completely trampled underfoot, we don't have a relationship that has anything to do with the teachings of Jesus whatsoever. But we may have somebody hanging on by a thread saying, the one thing we know is that we can't get divorced. There's nothing healthy about that. We're, we haven't actually done anything that matters to Jesus about relationships. We haven't, we haven't done forgiveness. We haven't done humility. We haven't done uh, equality. We haven't done listening. We haven't done kindness. Any of those things, all of those things matter. And if we're going to build a teamwork, uh, a relationship that means something as a follower of Jesus, we have to pay attention to actually his teachings and not just something about like, oh, we, we just can't get divorced. That's the only thing. That bypasses a lot of abuse. It, it bypasses a lot of gaslighting. It bypasses a, an absolute world of neglect over the kinds of things that matter in the teachings of Jesus about relationships. So if somebody does want to crow about Christian marriage, make sure that it actually has anything to do with any of the teachings of Jesus on relationships. It's fantastically put there. One thing, a couple things I would add in here. One is when we've talked about this recently, a couple times on the show, one of the things that um, Christians can zero in on when they get in these times of high religiosity, like these guys are describing here is when there is a, what I believe Jed recently uh, quoted someone, a theologian describing as clobber verses just something that really seems like it's cut and dry and you can't be ignored. And a big one for this is uh, the Old Testament. I think it's in Malachi, where it's, God hates divorce. It's put, you know, pretty, pretty starkly. Uh, you read through the Old Testament, particularly God hates a lot of stuff that lots of people are doing all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, if you just take in the person of Jesus, it would be clear that God apparently hates nothing more than religious hypocrisy. So that's eh, yep. if people are everybody's picking and choosing and picking and choosing divorce on that. But uh, both Lee and Jed have said over the years on this show that, that a lot of these questions come down to what kind of a dude do you think God is? I think yeah. this is really one of those because as these guys have pointed out, yes, there is an ideal. There is a a one A option, which is two people who are entirely self-sacrificially, uh, persistently pursuing building a marriage together that is 
godly and wonderful and self and satisfying and mutually beneficial. So that's, that's what we want. That's the goal. That's, that's the best option. To Lee's point, if you think that the second best option is two people just being miserable because they signed a piece of paper and said some words in a church when they were a lot younger and just kind of hating each other and hating their life and possibly putting that in their children and in their communities and not being able to move and grow as people because they're stuck in this thing. If you think that's the number two option, that may say more about your perception of what God is like than what he's actually like. Because I think what we're putting here, and again, we're not trying to tell you what to do. We're not trying to tell you what's right or wrong, but just proffering. Is it possible that in a, if, if the A option is off the table for whatever reason, we just don't think we're going to get there. Is it possible that above that whole, that thing of you hating your life and your primary relation, earthly relationship for the rest of time, God may find it preferable for you to, uh, call it quits, eat, uh, take the L as the kids say on that one and move on and try to do something that will make the two of you happy because, uh, we have, I, I think I speak for all of us in the podcast and say, we've seen people who that has worked out for. It's not ideal. It's very painful. You know, no such thing as an easy way to dissolve a marriage. If you have kids and you're, you're just your friends and relatives, you know, there's no such thing as a painless, easy, you know, easy breezy divorce. But we've all known people, and I certainly have, speak for myself, who have made that choice, difficult though it may have been. And once you zoom out five, ten years longer, everybody involves in a better place at the end of it. Is that messy? Is that unideal? Absolutely. But we very rarely do we hit the perfect ideal situation in life. So uh, when we're left with those other options, it is worth pointing out why do we think that God is leaning towards the one we assume he's leaning towards? Always a good question to ask. Mm. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, yoga pants discourse is back again. Everything comes back in cycles, folks. Even the things that are awful. What does the Bible actually say about modesty? Yes, we have had, as we record in recent in the last week or so, a bunch of dudes popping off on social media about how the evils with the yoga pants and the whatnot and their solution, you'll be shocked to know, who haven't tried enough yet, is for women to change what they do and mm. alter the way they go, uh, which is skipping the one singular biblical prescription for what should happen when a man cannot stop himself from gazing upon a woman's form lustily, which is he should gouge his own eyes out. Oh. That's, that's what Jesus says. They're not going for that. They're, they're, they think Lululemon is the problem, so that's cool. Um, but um, I, I like this question because, yes, we, we, we make fun, and a lot of this is going to be, we're going to, I imagine these guys will come around to us, rooted in misogyny and weirdness and stuff we talk about the show all the time. But it is possible that there is such a thing as uh, dressing appropriately for a situation, be that, uh, be that working out, be that, your job, be that just kind of being out in the world. So that is a thing. So Jed, where do we start off with this idea of modesty, uh, maybe unpacking what people assume it means and maybe getting to what the Bible actually says about it? Absolutely. Well, so most of what the Bible says about modesty actually has to do with wealth. Um, it basically boils down to don't flash your cash. So um, 
there's a pretty there's a pretty fancy mall uh, near where Matt and I live, and there is a Gucci store there. And maybe a year, year and a half ago, when these were really hard to find, Matt saw a kid waiting in line to go into Gucci store because you can't just go in. You gotta you gotta wait in line first. But he's waiting in line to go into the Gucci store. I believe I recall you saying wearing all Gucci everything anyway. I believe um, so. And holding a PS5 box as he's waiting in line, which Precious. are really heavy. Like, that's just... Yes, also important to the story, there's no electronic store in this mall. Yeah. There's nowhere for this... him to have bought the PS5 <laughs> and then be making the stop. He bought it somewhere else, drove to the second location, and then got in line while holding the PS5 box. Still hanging on. Yeah. You gotta you got hold it, Matt, or otherwise I don't know you have it. That's right. It's... So this is, if you're looking for a textbook of what is immodest from a biblical standpoint, it's not a person in a bikini. It's this young man in line at the Gucci store. And I tried to tell him that, and that's why I'm not allowed at the mall anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But like, for real though, like uh, that, if you're wondering what immodesty is from a biblical standpoint, like that, that is biblical immodesty. Um, It's flashing your cash. It's, you know using the way you present yourself to make every to make sure everybody else knows how much money and power and influence and status and stature you have that's you know that's the thing that we're that we're talking about um and if you're wondering if you should show up to church dressed like Mr. Peanut in a chauffeured Rolls-Royce the answer is probably not that would probably not be a great idea um that would be super cool though <laughs> dude if you really somebody, committed to the mr peanut bit, yeah if somebody caused pain and all that's right and the the, the actual peanut shape and everything if you, <laughs> if you cosplay mr peanut come on man i'm going to that church bro dude i would i would lead worship for mr peanut at least once <laughs> like yeah I, Hey, like, clap those gloves, Mr. Peanut. This is what I'm saying. Like, I, it would mean a lot to me to finish a song and have the soft clap in the gloved hands from Mr. Right. Peanut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's how the rich show approval. <laughs> so the main takeaway of my answer is don't be Mr. Peanut. I, I think that's really the thing I want to... I want to leave you with but Mr. Peanut, Mr. Peanut, Scion of the Underworld. That's the official stance. <laughs> yeah. of the, Mr. Peanut's eternal soul is in danger. So a soon coming, very unpopular cartoon from your friends at the Say That Podcast. And Jesus said how hard it will be for the very rich and especially Mr. Peanut <laughs> to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, now I'm picturing like kind of a VeggieTales ripoff where they're there, they're at the, the side of the thing and Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount and how much harder for the, a, a rich man in heaven? And it cuts to Mr. Peanut, who drops his monocle at that. <laughs> yes. I've, I've never heard of such a thing, and stomps away. All right. So all of that said, we, we, we'll turn now to, to your question about, about yoga pants and appropriateness of attire. And, and here's the thing, man, is it is important to note when conversations are understandably loaded. And this is one of those conversations, and it's loaded because dudes have been trying to control women and women's bodies since forever. And this conversation is more of the same on that. This is dudes trying to tell women what to do and what to do with their bodies. And 
this is not a good time in the world to be doing that. Um, if you're, if you're not, it's never been a good time, but now is especially not a good time. We, we've gone from not a good idea to extremely not a good idea, which is, which is where we are currently at. And if you are a person who really wants to have a discussion about appropriateness of attire and like, I don't know, maybe you work in HR. So like that's part of your job or something. Um, it's going to be hard to have a fruitful discussion until we cross the bridge of acknowledging what has come before. And what has come before is that for all of human history, men have tried to control women and have tried to control women's bodies and that that was a wrong thing. It was a wrong thing and it is a wrong thing. And to the extent that that's what's happening here, which is a lot of it, it continues to be a wrong thing. Separately from all of that, Obviously, all kinds of situations have guidelines to appropriate attire. Um, no one wants me to show up to a meeting at an office in a thong. Um, there would be many, many problems with that. Um, no one wants a surgeon to show up to do surgery in a Cowboy Curtis costume. There would be many, many problems with that. There are, in all kinds of situations, uh, forms of attire that are expected and forms of attire that are inappropriate or unsafe or off-putting or just a bad idea, most of those environments have actual policies through an HR department to, to detail what those things might be. And sometimes it is necessary to, to have those discussions. I mean, like if you've ever, I don't know, if you've ever managed a company, you probably once in a while do have to talk to somebody about, you know, we, this is a financial services company wearing your overalls to work is not a good idea. Um, but we really super need to begin by acknowledging that much of this is coming from a place of trying to control women and trying to control women's bodies and that that is wrong and it is unchristian. And uh, we need to collectively repent of that, both because repentance is good and that is bad, and because any hope of a fruitful discussion weighs it depends on having repented of our past sins in this regard. Yeah, absolutely right. That's fantastically put. And Lee, where do we take it from there? I completely agree with everything Jed said. The, the only thing I would add to this is, you know, all of us came up in an era uh, through purity culture where all of these verses were uh, weaponized to talk. All the verses in the New, Te New Testament about modesty and dress were weaponized to talk about sexuality and lust. And exactly as Jed's saying, they were they were all about controlling women and making women feel shame, and it was it was all gaslighting and the whole thing. Um, the interesting thing is exactly as Jed's pointing out the context of all those verses, whether it be in first Peter, whether it be in first uh, Timothy, whatever you want to look at, they, they do all have to do with wealth gap. The, the thing is, is that the burgeoning churches in the beginning of the Christian movement were one of the unique places in the world where people of vastly different socioeconomic classes were hanging out and were having community. This was kind of a new thing, is that you would have poor people in the same room with rich people, because rich people were coming to know Jesus, and poor people were coming to know Jesus, and everybody in between. And one of the problems that they had was, hey, rich people, one of your jobs as a follower of Jesus is to help people who are poor, and to share what you have, and to give what you have so that everybody shares equally, so that not everybody's in need and not ever and so that some people don't have too much and some people don't have anything this was one of the first things that was happening in these in these church movements and so one of the the big issues was 
hey, rich folks, not only do you need to share, not only do you need to help, not only do you need to serve, but don't flaunt it. If you've got a bunch of stuff, don't flaunt it. Help people, serve people. What happened in the purity culture, especially in the 90s and the early aughts and all that kind of stuff, is all of those uh, Bible verses that exactly as Jed's saying were, were about wealth gap and about, about you know, being sensitive and, and learning how to share and learning how to give and all that kind of stuff, it was all aimed at sexuality to create shame. And um, the, the truth of the situation is, is that verses in the New Testament, scriptural verses in the New Testament that actually talk about lust are never, this is super important, and so I'm going to say it slowly, verses in the New Testament that are actually about lust are never aimed at the people objectified by lust. Never. Verses about lust are never spoken to the people who are objectified by lust. Verses about lust are aimed at the people who are committing the sin of lust. That is super, super duper important. Okay? What that means for us is that verses that talk about the way people dress and verses that are talking specifically to women about the way, the way they're dressed, that has nothing to do with lust. Because when we have situations of lust, the scriptures are not talking, not aiming, not addressing the people who are objectified by someone else's sin. If there's a sin being committed and someone writing scripture is addressing it, they always address the person who is committing that sin, not the person objectified by that sin as someone who needs to change their behavior. I don't know how many ways to say that, but that's super duper important. The scriptures in the New Testament that talk about lust are about the people who are committing the sin of lust, talking to them about their self-control, talking to them about their um, respect, talking to them about th- the, the need that they have to get their house in order, not the people who are dressing a certain way. Exactly as Jed said, that has to do with wealth gap, that has to do with respect, that has to do with that has to do with serving and sharing and all that kind of stuff. But lust, verses about lust, always aimed at the people who are committing that sin, not at those who are objectified by that sin. I think that's exactly right, and it takes us back to kind of where we started this, which is why the prescriptive uh, solution to that is about uh, the person ripping out their own eye, which I do believe is metaphorical. Let's not get let's not get the forks out and try to be hardcore. But uh, when somebody when Jesus is giving a prescription of what to do about lust, he says, "Well, that is on you, the looker, to figure out. That is not on the person who is the object of this." Which uh, all these guys are great job pointing out. It's this is not only about control and about this kind of stuff. It's also it the yoga pants as a, a are such a great kind of example of this because it's also just to make a weird culture war points about how everything is awful and women are whores and whatever. Like they're just pants, dude. They're, they're pants that show the outline of a human body. That's what clothes do. If you can't focus enough to get through the grocery store, when someone with the knowledge that women have legs visually represented to you, that's a you problem. That is not a them problem. Um, that, that they're just comfortable. People like to do yoga in them. Stop being weird. A plea from some tired podcasters. Stop being weird. But if you are uh, one of the 
uh, people unfortunate enough for somebody to be trying to put this on or the, if you see this discourse and wonder if there's a point to it again no like look if you if you are going to church all dolled up whatever that means in whatever gender you are in the hopes of like getting attention or making yourself feel better or, you know you want to steal somebody's significant other and you want to be yes th- those would be problematic motivations and that would that would be an issue if you're just wearing the pants, but that's not what's happening. Like 99.999% of the time, just people wear the pants because they're comfortable. Don't be worried about it. This is, this is, this is what we're saying. And with that, we move on to our final question here. It comes in and says an organization I'm involved in recently had a scandal break. It's a big organization and my local chapter wasn't involved at all, but I still feel a little weird. How should I think about this? And uh, thank you so much for writing this question. Uh, it says a lot about the current landscape of Christianity in the world that I have no idea which one you're talking about. So we get to talk about this on a, a generalized sense, which is probably helpful in some way. But I, Jed, I'd love to get us started here because I do really think there's some interesting stuff in these particulars of this, of this is a large organization. Um, I don't know if that's a, a campus ministry or a denomination or whatever, but you know, somebody with the same name as this thing somewhere did something bad. We weren't involved, but I still, you know, tell people, oh, I go to X church and it feels a little strange. So what do I do with that? It's a great question. And I'm, I'm sorry for what you're having to navigate. I know that's not any fun at all. I want to start with kind of an odd idea, which is scandals happen and they're going to keep on happening. Um, if you're dealing with a, a, a few things worth considering, if you're dealing with a large organization and therefore a lot of people... Just by the numbers, sooner or later, somebody's going to do something they really shouldn't have done um, that um, becomes public knowledge. Like, we we would all wish that that wouldn't happen. But again, just the way that, that numbers and the fact that we don't have any perfect people in this world works out, scandals are going to happen. That's That's going to occur. And with large organizations, there's typically large-ish resources somewhere in there, which is part of what you need to be a large organization. And so when you add in a certain amount of money and power, there's a lot of temptation. And so, again, scandals are going to happen. That doesn't make them okay. It doesn't excuse them. But we we do need to to recognize that that's going to that's gonna happen. Here's why it's important we recognize that. The issue isn't so much that a scandal occurred, because, again, that's that's going to happen. The issue is... How does this organization respond when a scandal mm. happens? People are, people are going to mess things up. They're going to do stuff they shouldn't do. Word's going to get out. How does the organization respond? I'll give you a couple metrics to look at. The first is, are they blame shifting or are they accepting responsibility? That's, that's the first one that's, that's number one. So that you know, for an awful lot of people in the United States today, any PR outfit that they um, were to go to, particularly if they're kind of in, on the conservative side of things, is going to tell them to blame shift. They're going to tell them to refuse to take any form of responsibility and just keep blame shifting, which is a bad idea. You should not do that. The second thing is, are they being transparent about this situation and what they're doing to respond to it? Or are they being hidden about that? Um, transparency is almost always the right way to go. Hiddenness is almost always not the right way to go. Then the next one is, are they making amends or are they making excuses? If it's a scandal, somebody got hurt, somebody got messed over, somebody, you know, got, got the short end of the stick. Are they attempting to fix that? Are they in any material substantive way making amends to the people who got hurt 
or are they making excuses? I would begin by looking at those three categories because the response is where you're going to see the heart and the values and the priorities of this organization and of their senior leadership. My hope is that in that response, you're going to see people that take responsibility and you're going to see people that are transparent and you're going to see people that are actively working to make amends and to bring healing. And here's the thing. If you see all of those, I think that you should hold your head high and be proud to be associated with that organization and feel essentially no shame at all of like, look, scandals do happen. Um, the people that are in charge of this organization did a great job of handling it. They have done something. They have responded in a wise way. They responded in a godly way. They've responded in a way that I feel good about. By contrast, if you see a lot of blame shifting, if you see a lot of hiddenness, if you see a lot of making excuses, which, by the way, those three things is what you generally see in scandals involving church stuff. That's it's almost always that combination. That would certainly give me pause. You know, I, I can't tell you how to feel, but I can I can tell you for me. Um, that would leave a bad taste in my mouth and would definitely put me in a place of, I'm not probably going to want my name associated with what you guys are doing. That's, that's not great. But again, the thing I want to encourage you on is it's, it's, it's not so much that a scandal occurs because that's almost an inevitability at a certain point. It's how people respond to it when things go wrong. It's going to show you the heart, going to show you the values, going to show you the priorities of that organization, and their leadership, which I think will give you a sense of how you want to move forward in the future. I had another wonderful place to start that off. And Lee, how would we close this out? Totally agree with that. Uh, only a couple things that I would add. And just that, you know, it, it is. You know, from a biblical point of view, it is important that as believers or followers in Jesus that we have a good reputation with outsiders. That's a that's a thing that is a hallmark of. It's supposed to be a hallmark of everything that we do. That that uh, you know the way that we conduct ourselves. We you know outsiders look at the way we handle our business and they say that is the, those are people of integrity. Those are people of respect. Those are people of you know that that carry themselves in good repute. In some ways, I, you know. <laughs> It strikes me, and, and and I can say this as a person that is is part of a, a few small outfits. Um, you know, the, we, we've got a, a humble podcast that, even though we've had some major beefs with folks like Joel Osteen and Mark Driscoll, we're for the most part it's a it's a humble outfit. Um, and I'm smart. I'm part of a small church, a uh, small local church, um, just to you know, a couple three hundred people, and that's about it. And in some ways, Christian organizations were never supposed to be gigantic global mega entities. Um, Jesus said when, uh, you know, things get too big, the birds get in it and it gets out of hand and, and it's become something it was, it was never supposed to be. Um, and it, you know, it gets all this kind of, uh, money and power and attention and all this stuff that it was, it was always supposed to be, uh, local and humble and addressing the needs of, of certain communities. Um, that, that's pretty clear from my reading of much of the new Testament. Anyway, the only things I would really add to what Jed said is when you look at your specific situation, because a lot of this stuff needs to be case by case. Yeah. I would, I would ask some questions like this. Um, when you look at what you're doing to serve your community and to serve the kingdom, to be a part of what, what God has called you into or whatever, does this scandal impact your ability to do good and to serve where you are? That's a really important question. Um, another one that's like it, does this reputational hit of this organization impact your work? 
In other words, do you maintain the same kind of access, the same kind of relationships, the same kind of, um, uh, you know, green lights and passes into the, the situations and the rooms and the conversations and the communities that you need to do the things that God is calling you to do? Uh, another way of asking that is, could you have the same or similar impact without the access created by or granted through this organization? Those are going to be some some things that you need to ask along with and after you look at some of the things that Jed said. It's such a sharp lookout to say, how does this organization respond to this scandal? As I'm measuring whether or not I still want to be a part of this organization, when I look at the scope of what I'm doing, could I have the same or similar impact without being involved in this relation in a relationship with this organization at all? Because if I've formed the kinds of relationships where I could carry on with the good that I'm doing without this organization, maybe it's time for me to decouple and do my own thing. That is that could be a a great time to to kind of run the numbers on that analysis. If you can do what God's calling you to do and not have the rep, reputational hit by whatever this organization is doing, maybe it's time to look at, it's time for me to kind of push on and figure out how to do what God's calling me to do without this organization. Or maybe I still do need to be connected, but maybe I need to figure out how I manage these relationships in the middle of it. However you crunch the numbers and that works out, it's always a good idea for you to be looking at and analyzing what is it I'm called to do what is the impact that I hope to have? What are my goals? And what is the level of access or the level of relationships that I need? I don't necessarily need to be involved in these humongous ministry organizations to do the things at a local level from a service point of view for what God is calling me to do. It's, it's never a bad idea to, to look at, to analyze, to reevaluate all of those relationship things. Because God is going to have something for you to do, I believe, that, that allows you to not be involved with things that are super shady and super messed up. So asking those questions that Jed talked about and then asking these other questions, I think will lead you to a place where you're going to figure out what needs to be my level of involvement with this group. That's great stuff from both these guys. And I would I would add one kind of even more basic thing before you get to the the great stuff that both these guys gave you, um, which is, are, are they admitting that, the, that it's wrong, that this is a problem, that this is bad? And are they doing that proportionally? So as Jed mentioned, that a lot of these scandals kind of break down into some pretty predictable categories. So they're, let's say, you know, you're part of a whatever multi-site or, you know, a big parachurch ministry that has, you know, a bunch of different locations across the country. And, you know, you're in, you're in California and the one of the ones in New York got caught. Somebody got caught being fuzzy with the money. Well, that's bad. And, you know, we would like to know that uh, if I, you know, I'm a donor to this California chapter that that's not happening here, but maybe I know the local person. So I feel pretty good about that. That's a scandal, but, but I feel like my part is handled. So let's say that, you know, a big scandal breaks that somebody in national leadership was being unfaithful to their spouse. Well, that's not good. And you're, you know, you're not living up to the values you purport. So we'd like to see something done about that. But, you know, you know, privacy and investigation, and we're going to take our time and we're going to find a new person. Okay. That could be proportional. Let's say that another chapter, there was some kind of abuse that broke out 
as unfortunately does happen from time to time in large organizations. Now, I know that didn't happen here, but somebody needs to be on the mic at the next meeting saying, this is bad and this was wrong and people are going to deal with consequences. And you, person attending a meeting at, uh, under this organization, here's what is going on to protect you so that we are sure that you can feel safe, that you are not doing this. Like proportion is important and uh, things that apply are important. So that, again, you, you have every right to, to say that. As Jed points out, you should, you should be prepared to ask those questions if you're in a position to. But you should also be, it is also not unreasonable for you to expect them to have some answers to this before you can ask the questions because those are reasonable concerns. But as these guys point out, there is also, this is so case by case because there is also a lot of gray area in these things, not in something being wrong or not, but everybody has their own level of, I can still, I still feel like I'm getting something out of this as, as Lee mentioned, you know, a, a volunteer or somebody who does stuff or an attendee, uh, or I'm going to support my, you know, local chapter of this as a donor. But when I get the mailing from the national, whatever headquarters, I don't right. really no, I don't know that guy. I know the guy who, you know, I see at the, the soup kitchen or the, the high school or whatever. So, so I, I support that guy, that guy's cool. Uh, this whole giant corporate, I don't know about that. That's fine too. This does all, as, as these guys point out, these are things that happen. This is the world where we, we do have to live in currently. So we navigate that as best we can. And you navigate that on a case by case basis. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, slash ask. We want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out the song this week. This is from the pool house guru based on Ephesians four thirty two. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Even God and Christ,